0: Moon Hello world and welcome to the Moonpig Tech Podcast. I'm Richard and I am Jacob and today we're going to be talking about testable Android architecture and
1: joining us today is Todd. Hey so I'm Todd. Um, I'm an Android engineer here at Moonpig. Uh, I've been here for about four years um, and the Android app's only about five years old so I've seen quite a lot of the uh, lifespan of it. Once since I've been here. Yeah, I suppose four years in Android development is quite a long time. You've probably seen a lot of change. Yeah, certainly. Uh, feels like mobile moves quite fast and Google constantly changed their mind about what we should be doing. So, um, yeah, I think <laughs> a, a lot has changed in that time.
2: What is quite nice about the Android app is that it has always been built with a lot of tests, a lot of automated tests, and testability in mind, but that has changed quite significantly over the last, I think, especially three years. Um, So kind of like as a bit of a disclosure, I also work on the Android app, so Todd and I work a lot together and have therefore like also shaped kind of like how we approach this topic. So to start, I think what's interesting is have a bit of a look at the past and kind of like how we started out with the app. So I think Todd is the best one to start with this one.
1: Yeah, so when I joined, I would say... I think, like, I personally as well, I didn't really have a good understanding of architecture or really what that meant when I joined Moonpig. Um, and it was the first project that I'd worked on. I'd worked on a two or three Android projects before that. And It was the first one I'd worked on where I really came in and there was a clear architecture. Like, there was a clear way of building things. And there was an attitude towards testing and quality that I hadn't seen in previous projects. Um, But if I look back now, like we've moved on a lot further from that. But when I joined, we built things basically using uh, what we'd call MVC in the Android world. It's a little bit different from like MVC on web or such, but the principle is kind of the same. So what that means is we have these objects on Android. So we have activities and fragments, which are basically our UI classes. Um, but they're very, very tied into the framework. So that makes them very, very hard to test because all of our codes written in Java. What, what's Java? We now use Kotlin, but it's, it's JVM, right? And you can't run the classes that are very Android-y on a normal JVM running on your laptop. So you have, in order to test those things, you have to either run them on an actual device which is slow, or you have to get like a third party framework, which allows you to test those classes. And we used to use uh, RoboElectric to do that, which was really common in the industry a few years ago. And is also slow. <laughs> yeah, and is also really slow and, and also then leads to other problems. Like s- as soon as there's an update to Android that changes some part of the API, RoboElectric has to be updated in order to maintain compatibility with that. And we'd have issues where a new version of Android comes out and you change the, like, target version of your app and half of your tests break.
0: Okay. Just just to scope this a little, um, what, what are we talking about in terms of tests? Are we talking about testing the user interface, the presentation logic, or uh, calls to APIs, business logic, or storage? What What are we talking about?
1: So back in the MVC world, kind of everything, because the the activity would be your controller in MVC. So Android thinks it's your like UI class, but you're now using it as a controller and it's full of business logic. And in that controller, we would have references to our like networking dispatchers that would go off and make network calls. So you're kind of like testing, you're trying to test everything in one place. Um, and that makes your test really complicated. It makes it hard to like mock out the bits that you don't want to test and the problems from earlier where yeah. you, everything's slow, basically. Yeah,
2: plus you have the issue that RoboElectric takes a few seconds to just even start up before you can execute your unit tests, which of course is horrible, right? The feedback loop is, is slow, very slow. So of course, the, the reasonable next step basically is to say like, well, don't put your business logic into your Android UI classes. And that's kind of like where the next iteration came from, which is like MVP. Which is like model view presenter, um, which I think was coined mostly by the Android community. And the idea is there that you keep the UI stuff on the view, on the activities and the fragments, and you now move this logic into the presenter, right? Which now has the nice benefit of being able to say, like, well, I just instantiate my presenter, it doesn't know that it lives on an activity or a fragment, and I just execute the test in JUnit, which is, of course, a an improvement over MVC.
0: Yeah, um, actually, I've used uh, MVP quite a lot in, in the past, building web apps and Windows apps. So it's yeah. uh, it's a fairly well known pattern. Well, See. Uh, um. <laughs> what, what? So, just just to add again a little bit more context to this. Um, That sounds like a great move, bringing your business logic out into a a class that's on its own that you can test. But how do devices play into this? Is there any impact or was there any impact, particularly in your MVC world, where different devices actually behave slightly differently and therefore your test, the assurance you got from your test wasn't as
1: high as you would think? Yeah, so... One of the reasons we tended to use Roboelectric rather than testing on actual devices is because although Roboelectric has the issues I talked about, at least it's consistent, and you can run it like Roboelectric is a framework that runs on your your dev machine basically, so it's running on j v m so that was how we would get consistency in our tests um and at that point, in terms of actual like screen testing or u i testing, which we did do as well. Uh, We used Appium for that, which we've since moved it all to Espresso. Um, But yeah, you would run into that as well. You'd have to be careful with like different devices will behave differently. Samsung will change something about UI or the way that a button looks. And sometimes you try to click on it with your test and it doesn't find it.
2: And I I feel like a few years back, it was worse. I feel like Samsung now, especially, has like caught up and, and got a bit more stable and a bit more in line with with core Android. Um, but yeah, I think three years back, you would have a lot of issues, and also then in between Samsung versions, you would have a lot of issues. Mm. Um, and what what about device sizes and things as well? I mean, did,
0: did the screen size make a difference to to things, or does that is that not actually within scope of this? So w-
2: I think we're in a in a lucky position where the layout off the screen doesn't change much if you're on a tablet or on a phone we mostly like resize things Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's not like oh yeah when you're on a tablet we display this whole new area for you in hiding when you're on the phone so that makes it easier for us and i think that's therefore why it was never that big of a concern we would still manually test okay different device sizes so so
0: at that point there was there was still a a need and requirement for manual testing across these devices it's it's what you're saying right
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah, and we used to do, we used to do a lot of manual testing, because the screen testing was slow and unreliable. Yeah. Um, and that was just the best way to do it. And we used to do like a lot of testing. I remember at one point where we were like, make sure we test every every ticket on a Samsung, because like the majority of our users run on Samsungs. They're like really popular phones. So like it, we would occasionally run into something that only happens on on a samsung okay
0: so so the negative impact of all this really was that a it would take you a lot of boring repetitive work to qa your stuff and make sure it's fine every time because you're repeating those tests on many different devices
1: and therefore i guess it really slowed down your release rate yeah and um, i think there was kind of two issues with the architecture when i look back i mean the, there there there's lots of things and lots of things we've improved, but kind of two big issues, right? One of them is that testing was not, not in a good place. And the other one was just that actually maintaining the code was hard. Like, especially MVC, just having lots of stuff in your activity is just, it's messier to then try and make changes to and add new features to. Um, and I think probably MVP, when we moved to MVP, it did definitely come out of wanting to take some of that business logic out and move more of our tests to just being JVM tests. Um, But also it was like, let's split this logic out into a separate class where you can just make changes to it more easily.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I guess an important requirement of these tests is not just that you you get that assurance that things are working well now, it's that it makes it easier for you to change stuff in the future. And from, from what it sounds like you were saying before you went to MVP, that was difficult to make change
1: yeah definitely and like we we don't we move quite fast right just with the way that we work we're very like I almost don't want to use the word agile cuz I think it gets overused but like I think we are and we don't build a massive feature for 3 months and then release it so we really like as in we split stuff down and we do we try and release every week or two so we really need to be able to make small specific changes without breaking things that are still releasable to the user. And that was just really hard to do under especially MVC. Cool.
0: So you moved from MVC to MVP and the world was a bit brighter?
1: Yep, that's a pretty good summary. Okay. (laughs) What happened next? So uh, MVP was a really good step and I would say it was the first time that I was kind of involved with like what's wrong with an architecture and what do we want to make better about it? Um, And So what we found after we moved to MVP was it improved a lot of those things we've just talked about. But as soon as you try to build a complex screen, you run into an issue that really has been an issue that's kind of plagued Android development since the beginning of Android, which is that managing the state of your view is really difficult and gets messy. So on Android, in your activities, you have this concept of like a bundle, which is basically just some data that can be serialized. And the system will write all of that out for you when your app gets backgrounded or or the phone rings or whatever. And then when your app comes back, it gives you that bundle back and then you have to restore it all. and that's kind of horrible because it's really tightly coupled to your UI code. So having, like if we go back to the MVC days, having all of your like business logic in the same place makes it into a a big mess. Um, But the problem with MVP was that we still kind of had that problem. We didn't have a good way of knowing what the current state of the screen was other than kind of hoping Android knows what's going on in and of itself. So we kind of started looking for something better. And that was, that was a problem that other people had across the industry. And people started talking about MVI, which wasn't a pattern that Android invented. It, it's basically i think redux was
2: the origin of it on web react was kind of the first really big one where this kind, this idea of unidirectional data flow came up and having like your few states and, and events that get reduced into incremental updates to your few state yeah and what's kind of like the really powerful idea behind this is that you say like i have a few state and this is where my state goes so MVP had a really big issue, which was uh, if, if you worked on on five different apps, you saw it probably implemented in seven different ways. Like the community couldn't align into like, okay, if we say we do MVP, this is where our few state goes. This is where our like things that we fetch from the network or anything goes. Right. And you would end up with these things of like where you would keep some stuff in the presenter and some stuff on the UI, but then yeah, your whole view gets destroyed and you are like, Oh, how do I not deal with the stuff that I kept in my presenter? And this is where this idea from, from react is really nice because like, well, you have a state and everything needs to be in that state. Right. So.
0: So
1: can you quickly explain what sort of things might be in the state? So, so the view state is, it should be a complete representation of, of the, the UI maybe also some other bits of data related to that. But the idea is that it's everything you need to be able to put the screen and the app back into the state that it is in right
2: now. So a very simple example would be if you have a login form and you start typing your your email address and you rotate halfway through, then your half-entered email address sh- should be in your view state. Or you have loaded, in our case, like 20 cards in a gallery, Um, and you come back you should still have these 20 cards you should not need to do another network load to restore them right and this sort of state
0: is is almost temporal so it's it's there for the scenarios you mentioned like you rotate the screen or a phone call comes in or you switch to another app for a bit but it's not meant to be there forever right it expires presumably yeah
2: normally it does so like if you really need to persist things across multiple app sessions or whatever you can use like they're like android databases you can run locally or you just use services mm-hmm. if, if you have that stuff on services yeah. okay so
1: this is all
0: about making sure the user has a nice seamless experience then
1: yeah so i think the most common example of of where you need this is when you rotate the device because on android when you rotate the device android throws away your entire activity makes a new one and then basically restores some it will restore things that are in the UI, like text fields that have text in will restore themselves, but it won't restore other things like data you got off the network that you're going to use when someone presses a button or your custom view might not restore itself perfectly depending on how you've set it up. So um, that rotation use case is probably the best example on Android of where. Uh, you want that to be seamless, right? Especially yep. on tablet. The user rotates their tablet. You just want them to be able to carry on exactly where they were. Yeah,
0: I think if it didn't work for me, I'd probably throw the tablet. So it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so you mentioned you'd moved from MVP to MVI to help with this. Can you explain what MVI is? That's a new one on me as an acronym.
1: <laughs> so yeah, MVI is, um, I'm not a big fan of all the like MVX acronyms because I sometimes feel like they don't, all necessarily represent the same ideas with the M and the V. Um, But basically the idea of MVI is that you have a a single directional flow of data that starts with generally the user pressing a button, doing something, uh, making some interaction with the device. And that's an intent, right? That's the I in in model view intent. So the user has an intent to do something. And what we do with that is we take that intent, like say they tapped on the login button and we say, okay, we need to like go and make a network call or, or update some uh, database or whatever it might be. You may need to go off and do something on another thread. And that will produce, so we have like our own, version of MVI, there are, there are slight variations on it, but in our one, that will produce a stream of results. So your network call might produce a stream of results that says like, first of all, I'm in progress, now I've got a success. And each one of those that comes back, the kind of critical part of MVI is we take the current view state, so the, the representation of what's on the screen right now, and we take the result of whatever that process was that triggered off of the user doing something, and we put those two things together and we produce a complete new view state. So typically, you'll take the old state and you'll copy it. The view states, they're always immutable. So we take the old one and we copy it and we might update a field on it. And then we render the whole view state back to the screen again. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that we always have a complete view state that we can persist and that we only need that one current view state to be able to render the whole screen in the current state that it's in. Okay. So is the view the screen?
0: Yep. And the model is the view state? Or not quite?
2: The model would be the view model, which is what receives the intents, goes off and says like, okay, I'm gonna need to fetch something from the from the network or do whatever and maps them back into a new into a new view state. So kind of like the few state is not represented in the acronym <laughs> yeah it's no. yeah, like, just a really weird acronym um so yeah you can basically think of it as like if you know react it's the idea of react on Android in a way and when you kind of like now think about testability this becomes an incredibly powerful concept because what you have with MVP is you say oh yeah, in order to test this specific scenario, I need to put my presenter into a specific state, right? Because the presenter normally holds state. So you need to call three methods on your presenter and then call the fourth one and now make sure this works. But that means that the three before need to be correct. Right? Everything depends on like the three methods that you call before being correctly implemented. Whereas if you have MVI, I can just say like, well, I, I, I can produce a complete few state and now I just add this extra bit and see if my fuse set is updated correctly. So testing becomes so much easier because you have this whole representation of everything that's going on and you can just look at the things that you need mm-hmm. or the things that you care about. And I think it also makes the testing of the logic simpler
1: because this idea of unidirectional data flow means that everything goes through the same process. So I, I take an intent and I say, what should happen off the back of that? So we have something called a use case, which would be like, w- which would connect our um, view model to, say, our networking. So I can easily verify that for a given intent, it gets mapped into the correct behavior on that use case, and then I can test my use case and make sure that it puts out the correct results. And then I can feed the correct result into the back into the view model and make sure that it gets mapped into the correct updates to the view state. So you can test each of these components individually, um, which kind of it just breaks that logic out into like easily testable units. Yeah. And you and you know like when you start writing a new feature, you kind of already know what tests you're going to have to write for it, L- like where you, I need a test to test this mapping and then this bit of behavior and then the reduction on the view state. I see. So
0: so back to the sort of comparison to where we were before. This has solved the isolation of your code for you so that you know wh- what tests to write and you know um, I guess the the separation of your business logic is a lot easier so you know that where, to, where to focus your efforts on the tests. Yeah. Um, and I sounds like a lot of the the process will be re- almost repetitive anyway, like um, if, if it's patterns there. So you've got like a pipeline or something like that that's consistent across your views or something like that that doesn't need testing all the time.
2: Yeah, so in kind of like where we decide what we test and what we test where, I think that that was a really interesting one for us because we basically have, as, as Tolo already mentioned, we have this idea of a use case. And the use case it would say this is where we put our business logic in in double quotes because normally you don't have a lot of logic in in front end clients anyways but this is for example if we fetch something from the network and we have some logic on the client of that we need to filter out some items before for example we don't support them then that goes into the use case and then the use case and then the use case feeds back the list of, of the items to the view model and the view model now has kind of like the ui logic in terms of like oh yeah if you have two bits of data let's say i don't know the name of the user and the occasion of like the reminder i put them together in one nice title string and then all we do in the ui is basically take the pre-formatted title and put it in a text view So right so we want to keep our ui as as stupid as possible so we mm. don't need to basically touch it, so we don't need to test it, or we have a very high, um, a very high confidence that it's so simple that we're not gonna break it easily, mm-hmm. right? Because so, those, those are the classes that are expensive to test, right, because yeah. that's your activity. Yeah.
1: So if we can just say, we're happy to not write tests for this because it's one line of code that puts a
2: piece of text on an Android widget, then great, yeah.
1: And is that where you are
2: right now? Yeah. And, and it's the same with the buttons. You could say like, well, we don't test that the button is hooked up to trigger the intent in the view model, but also like, it's very unlikely that it's just going to break because it's such a low complexity piece of code. And it's something that you should test at least once when you just implement the feature, right? If you don't test that your button triggers the right intent, then you're doing something obviously wrong. And what we found in kind of like testing our view model. I think this this was an interesting, a bit of a revelation for us is because we are very much used to mocking. So the way we would test our view model is basically say like, if I send in this intent and I have a mocked use case and my mocked use case returns with this set of data, then now my view state looks like that. So actually we were, we were testing basically like the whole loop, but with a mocked use case. And what we saw is when we now added a new field to one of our data entries, like all of our unit tests would break. So actually it was very hard to refactor, it was very hard to kind of update things without all of your unit tests breaking. And it's like this is not what unit tests should be for. So at one point we went like, well, the whole idea of React was is that you have a lot of of pure functions, right? You have an input and you have an output and it don't have a side effect. So we basically just decided to say like Well, let's just test the mapping from the intent to what the use case receives. And let's just test if I have this view state and I get this stuff back from the use case, this is the new view state that I'm getting out. So we basically threw a lot of kind of like our mocking code away and suddenly it was way nicer to to actually refactor things. And then we just have a set of a few unit tests that actually test our base view model and the base view model is the one that makes sure that if we get an intent and it's mapped to an action, it's like handed over to the use case. So when a result from a use case comes in it gets handed back to the to the view model. So we don't need to retest this all the time. Yeah it makes sense.
0: It'd be the same thing every time. Um, So so you've got these individual tests. What do you do to make
1: sure that everything plays nicely together? So yeah that that was kind of like originally we used to do that by testing the whole view model in one go and when we changed the changed our approach to that so that we were testing the individual functions and then testing the base class we had to like take another look at how do we test across the whole system because you still want to do that kind of integration test and make sure that everything plays together nicely in reality um so we so we used to have espresso tests which were screen tests which would like test it from the point of view of the user, um, but they're slow, right? So what we don't want to do is write an Espresso UI test for every single interaction possible on a screen. So what we did instead is we said, we'll have Espresso tests for like a few main scenarios, but we'll write JVM-based tests for all of the like, smaller, more detailed interactions, and they cut across the whole system, all of our layers. So we take everything from... we Basically, the easiest way to think about it is we cut Android off the front and we cut the network off the back and we run a mock HTTP server, basically. It runs on device, on the device that we're testing on. And we, instead of treating Android as the UI. We just say, well, we trust that our activity is going to render the view state properly. So if we just assert the uh, state of the view state, then that's good enough for us to be confident in it. So then we kind of do what we used to do originally, where we uh, like feed the intent in and check the view state comes out. But now we're not actually mocking anything out. So we're using the real view model, which we were originally, but also we use the real use case and we use real repositories. And the only bit that's faked is the actual HTTP response comes back from a server that runs on the device. Sounds good, makes a lot of sense to me. Do you still get any value out of espresso tests? Yes. So. We still use Espresso tests, and we kind of see them as our like last line of defense. So uh, we have what we call journey tests. And what we do with Espresso now is we say, what are the core experiences that absolutely must work for the user? So for us, that's things like open the app, pick a card, customize the card, buy the card, add some flowers, check out with a credit card, land on the confirmation screen, see your order number, mm-hmm. right? That's like, that's our core journey. And we, so we kind of sat down and we, we figured out what are our core experiences. And most of them are around like buying a product because obviously that's ultimately the, the point of the app is to allow people to buy our cards and our, and our other products. Um, and there's a few others that we do in terms of like, can you log in and log out properly? And we make sure that those screens work because we think those are important. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the other kind of like side screens, little things like, for example, we have a screen that's for our loyalty um, scheme and the loyalty scheme is, is important, but it's not as important as customizing a card. So we're happy to say we could just test that by verifying that the view state comes out properly when we feed in the right intents. So we don't need espresso tests built around that. Mm-hmm. Sure, it'd be very expensive to sort of exhaustive,
0: exhaustively test everything at that level anyway. Yeah,
2: and that's basically where, where we sat down and said, okay, what are the core things that just have to work across multiple screens, basically end-to-end. We still use a, a mocked web server, but we actually press the buttons mm. on the UI and we actually assert what it looks like on the UI. And we basically got it down to, I think, where are we now? ten or 10 or 11, something like that. And you can run them on a device in one and a half minutes, something like that. So that gives us a high level of confidence that we haven't broken anything of the very, very, very important journeys. Because yeah, as I said, like if we would sit down and now write again, espresso tests for everything, it just bloats your test runs. Espresso is still unreliable. Unfortunately, you get still like often like false negatives. I haven't seen a false positive in a long time but it's often just like oh i couldn't press this button and then you run again it's like yep i can totally press this button and it, yeah and what's really important for us because we don't have any manual queries right we're, we're four for android developers on our app is that we can release with a very high degree of confidence mm. you will you will never be able to have a bug free system not at that scale or not at that size and we don't even have like a massive app but it's it's big enough that you can't manually test everything so we basically just need to be able to run a reasonable pipeline in roughly let's say 20-ish minutes and when that goes out we can release and if we break anything we are reasonably certain that we can fix what has been broken in in a short amount of time Mm. right And, and you mentioned these journey tests run
0: on a device yeah. So has that alleviated the amount of different devices you have to
2: test on? Do you, do you run those on different devices? So they are run on, on a phone, on a regular phone. When we make UI changes or add new screens that we still test manually across multiple devices because that's the problem you have with Espresso anyway, right? Espresso can say that the text is there, but if the text is in the right position, it can't tell you. And then you mm. get in this whole area of like snapshot testing. Mm. And snapshot testing is something where so far we have decided it's not worth the effort. Like we have been going really well and really fast with what we have so far.
0: Yeah, And I'd assume sort of automating any user experience testing would be very, very difficult anyway, right?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so what's the uh, net impact then of moving from let's let's go right back from MVC to MVI? What have you seen?
1: Wow, that's a yeah, that's a big question. Um,
0: well, you're a happier Todd. Actually. Yeah, definitely.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> I think do you know it's really hard to like put it all together because we've done it in a lot of small steps, um, and I think that's actually one of the that's one of the interesting things about how we've moved through different architectures is that i've seen people try to re-architect the whole app in one go and then they don't know what problem they're trying to solve and they don't necessarily solve the problems they actually have whereas what we've done is like even with mvc like i've i've definitely skipped over details here but we went through like three or four kind of different iterations where i could like describe notable differences between them where we were like here's an actual problem with this solution what can we do to make this better um and i'd say only really when we jumped from mvp to mvi was it like a big change in one go and even since we started using mvi we've we've kind of iterated on it a lot and we've like we've talked a lot today about like how we changed our testing strategy, but even in terms of the actual architecture itself, we've made little changes, improved the way that we do like navigation between screens. Um, so yeah, to put that all together and say like, what's the difference in one go is quite difficult, but just the, from my perception, like the speed that we deliver at has changed drastically. And the ability to go back to a screen that we built a year ago or even that someone else built a year ago or more, and quickly add a small feature or a small change to it is completely different when you go back to one of our MVI screens compared to if you go back to some of the, cause there's still a couple of screens around that are in MVC. And when you go back to those, like sometimes, I mean, me and Jacob had a ticket quite recently and like we spent basically, a day or more, like just figuring out how this thing even worked, and we never have to do that with MVI because it just follows a pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that it's that pattern that gives you the value, lets us go faster, lets us modify things, makes it maintainable, and gives us the like confidence in our tests and that we can build more things in that way going
0: going so it's forward. So consistency of approach,
2: yeah. yeah. And and for me, I definitely had a few takeaways from, from this solution because like when I started a year ago, we already did MV- MVI in one form, but we still had more screens that were MVC and stuff. And that's the thing, we don't go back and rewrite like the change password screen immediately because it doesn't give us a benefit. But kind of the takeaways for me were, was like, have a consistent approach to where you put your state, right? The second one is write as many pure functions as you can if you have functions that just take an input and you get an output they're just so much easier to test and the third one for me is if you have something that's very hard to test like frameworks and stuff like android move everything as far away from it as possible right and none of these are revolutionary new ideas this has been around forever especially the last one it's just called the humble object pattern right and i think it's been written in books 15 years ago but it's still surprising to me if you're very very rigorous with these things and if you like really stick to them and say like okay pure functions stay in one place and things that are hard to test keep them as, as simple as possible you can get very very far
0: yeah i think that's good advice for programming in general
1: <laughs> if i'm honest with you
0: um right i think i think we're, we're done Is there anything else you
1: wanted to add uh yeah so we did a talk back in November at Londroid, which is the, the London Android uh, meetup, um, which was is relevant to this. It was all about our architecture, and it goes into a bit more detail around uh, the, the technical details and a bit more the history around MVC and MVP. So um, I don't know if we can put like a link to that somewhere in the... We sure can. Great. Um, I know if anyone's interested. Um, it was unfortunately filmed on a mobile phone, so the video isn't great, but... Um, you get to listen to my voice. So. <laughs> and yeah. who
0: wouldn't want to see that? Yeah, even more than you already have right now. <laughs> so I'll, I'll put the, the link to that video in the show notes. Great. Great. Well, yeah. that, that does mean we've come to the uh, point of the podcast now where Jacob gets to ask you some kind of awkward question.
2: Oh, I, I don't think it's awkward. I just know <laughs> you've been playing Luigi's Mansion a lot recently. I have, yeah. So the question is Mario or Luigi?
1: Definitely Luigi. <laughs> but I think because so I'm the youngest of three. So I was always like, I always had to play the other character in video games whenever me and my brother would play together. (laughs) So I would always have to be Luigi. So I pretend I like it. See,
0: see, I relate to Mario, but I think that's because we sort of share a physique, basically.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd, for taking time today to chat to us.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
2: Thank you, dear listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe on whichever platform you're using to hear our lovely voices if you have any questions or want to get in touch um feel free to tweet us at moon tech and bye
1: bye